One of the most controversial and sensational aspects of the Christian faith is the biblical claim that demonic forces are real and that hell is also a reality. Witchcraft, in fact, is the world's default religion. But if you bring up the subject of exorcisms, the casting out of demons from someone, most people will associate the topic with Hollywood horror films. On the other hand, the Catholic Church is expressing increasing concern that exorcists are in greater demand than ever. According to the International Association of Exorcists, representing more than 200 Catholic, Anglican, and Orthodox priests, an increase in demonic possession represents a pastoral emergency. So what does the Bible tell us about demonic possession and how to overcome it? The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer, which includes the phrase, deliver us from evil. An accurate translation is, deliver us from the evil one, namely, from Satan. Jesus knew fully well that there are demons, and he taught his disciples to subjugate them. Trouble is, many churches today are too sophisticated and skeptical to address the subject of demonology with anything but skepticism and even scorn. Generally speaking, our worst enemy is unbelief. God expects the Lord's disciples in all generations to believe his promises and to act on the word of God. It's not an hour to be passive. After all, Jesus, our mentor of mentors, regularly rebuked demons and illnesses. But when was the last time you heard a believer rebuke a demon? Sadly, people in the churches today don't even think to rebuke an evil spirit because the average churchgoer is simply not trained to act biblically. But in Mark chapter 9, concerning a lunatic boy, the disciples had failed to heal the boy. And so they were embarrassed and perplexed because Jesus had already given them power and authority to heal and to cast out demons. Up to that point, the disciples had enjoyed a certain measure of success. Jesus had sent them out two by two, and they had returned rejoicing that even demons were subject to them. That is, until the humiliating encounter with a boy that they couldn't cure. So they came privately to Jesus, so to speak, with their tails tucked between their legs, asking, why couldn't we cast out the demon? And Jesus' answer still applies to us today. He said, because of your little faith. He also said that more prayer and fasting were required. Difficult cases should inspire us to increase our faith, but sadly, too many of today's unbelieving believers no longer inquire of the Lord, why couldn't we drive out a demon? Most professing believers won't even acknowledge that demons exist.
Actually, Jesus cited two reasons for his disciples' failure to deliver the boy who was being tormented by a spirit. Number one, Jesus said, was their unbelief or literally their little faith. And secondly, Jesus taught them the harsh reality that stubborn spirits are cast out because of a believer's deliberate consecration to God by devoting extra time and energy into prayer and fasting. A casual believer who has never added fasting to his or her prayers is not likely to get the job done. So Jesus taught his disciples that an exorcist needs preparation. He himself had fasted 40 days in the wilderness and he overcame Satan with the word of God. And now he tells his disciples in Mark chapter 9 that this kind of spirit does not come out except by prayer and fasting. You see, fasting subdues the flesh and increases the gift of discerning of spirits. It sharpens us. By means of prayer and fasting, a believer can invest into the bank of fasting and prayer to receive greater ability to withstand assaults of the evil one. And in this chapter, the father of the boy had begged Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity and help us. But begging prayers don't get the job done either. Faith does. Jesus turned the question on the father. If I can, you mean if you can, all things are possible, Jesus said to him who believes. The father cried, I do believe. Help my unbelief. The father's reply was transparent, but revealed double-mindedness. Meanwhile, a crowd had gathered and the demon put on a show, tormenting the boy. You see, demons crave attention. For them, it's a form of worship. But Jesus soundly rebuked the spirit. Specifically, he commanded a deaf and mute spirit to come out of the boy. And that was a clear demonstration of the gift of the discerning of spirits. Well, the demons shrieked and convulsed the boy, causing him to collapse in a heap resembling a corpse. What a scene. But Jesus lifted the boy by his hand and he stood up on his feet. And demonic tactics, I've learned, remain the same today. In one of our gospel meetings in Cairo, a woman collapsed after being convulsed by a demon, but she also appeared to be dead. We commanded her to get up in the name of Jesus. And she did to the glory of God. We also saw this tactic in one of our open air meetings in Pakistan. A woman in the crowd looked as if she had fallen down dead. In both instances, in Egypt and in Pakistan, in the name of Jesus, we rebuked a spirit of death and those victims were set free. Sometimes their eyes roll up in the back of their heads so that only the whites of their eyes are visible. This is an evil spirit's way of keeping the victim from making eye contact and thus receiving help. After all, eyes are the windows of the soul. Now back to Mark 9, when the disciples approached Jesus privately, he encouraged them that they had not lost the power to perform miracles. He said, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, which of course is the least of all seeds, you can remove mountains and nothing will be impossible for you. 
And so we should be encouraged by the tiny mustard seed. We don't have to be faith giants, but we do need to start exercising mustard seed faith, and then our faith will grow. And we need great faith for these perilous times we're living in. Mental illness is a growing problem in our stressful world, as well as increasing dangerous side effects of high-powered drugs prescribed for depression and all sorts of ailments. A man wrote to a rabbi that he felt depressed and worthless. He bemoaned his failures because all his school friends appeared to be very successful. I like the rabbi's um, compassionate response. First of all, he said, we must understand man's purpose on earth. Is our purpose to be admired by everybody? Is our purpose to have a high status? No, he said, our purpose is to serve God, for we were created for the sole purpose of rejoicing in God and deriving pleasure from the splendor of his presence. Well, the rabbi's statement brought to my mind the Westminster Catechism that I learned from my father, a Presbyterian minister of blessed memory. The first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, what is the chief end or purpose of man? And the answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Amen. So you see, the master of the universe is not an achievement-oriented elitist. In the world to come, there will be many surprises. People considered important and celebrated here on earth will not necessarily be celebrated in the world to come. And many who were mocked in the here and now will be highly exalted in the world to come. But in this present gospel age, the Lord's followers are expected to believe God's promises for health and guidance. And the Lord expects us to know how to rebuke evil and to cast out spirits. Dealing with demons is, after all, part of the Lord's great commission. Jesus said in the Great Commission in Mark chapter 16, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons, he said, and they will lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. So praying for the sick and casting out demons are a part of the gospel, whether we recognize it or not. After all, when we analyze the gospels, Jesus's ministry consisted of four main activities, prayer, teaching, healing, and casting out of demons. And he said, amazingly, in John 14, 12, that the works he did, we will do also. And he promised even greater works. And of course, these greater works or exploits are only possible because he sends us the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Well, in our outreaches, we pray for people for healing and deliverance and because my husband and I were part of an outstanding ministry in Africa, we've seen many people set free from witchcraft bondage in the name of Jesus. I'll never forget praying for a madman who wandered into one of Evangelist Reinhard Bonnke's meetings in Africa. and He was gloriously restored to his right mind because of prayer and because of the overall Holy Spirit atmosphere. But the casting out of demons is not just a ministry for third world nations. With apostasy in Western churches and 
so many people everywhere trafficking in the occult and pornography. Deliverance ministry is vital absolutely worldwide. As I said in the opening, even secular newspapers are reporting that demon possession is a growing emergency. When my husband and I first joined the team of Evangelist Banca in Africa, we noticed that there were deliverance tents for ministry during his big outdoor meetings. And so we asked if the ministers in the tents were especially trained or qualified to do this work. But the person in charge said, don't you know casting out demons is the work of every believer according to the Great Commission? Well, amen. That revelation certainly wasn't lost on us. We learned that we should arm ourselves with a great knowledge of the Word of God in light of the fact that Jesus warned us that demonic activity will be rampant and deception will increase and be a primary characteristic of the last days. Now, although it's the duty of every disciple to continue the exploits of Jesus, and that includes casting out demons, we must also heed the admonition of the Apostle Paul to covet all the spiritual gifts. You see, when we possess the gift of the discerning of spirits, we can know when someone is influenced by the Holy Spirit or by the natural human spirit or by an evil spirit. And because of the gift of the discerning of spirits, some believers have the God-given ability to recognize the presence and even the identity of an evil spirit. We can become finely tuned to detect evil like a smoke detector recognizes fire. And there are many categories of evil spirits that believers should be able to discern, such as new age spirits and spirits of the occult. Familiar spirits are just that. They are familiar with and acquainted with a person's past or family background. And that's why familiar spirits can take on many disguises and masquerade as departed relatives. Spirit voices and visions impersonating the dead are a big time deception. It's just not possible to contact the dead. According to Luke 16, 26, God has fixed a gulf between the living and the dead. And here's a very important Bible reference. The Bible sternly warns against engaging in the occult. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 and 11, God says, There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or who uses divination, one who uses witchcraft, who interprets omens, or is a sorcerer, or one who casts spells, or is a medium, or spiritist, or one who consults the dead. For God says, all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. That means people who engage in these forbidden occultic things are absolutely detestable to God. And they have to repent and have a change of mind. In some Christian circles, there's too much emphasis upon the devil and not enough in the faith of the power of God. The Apostle John, after all, wrote, Greater is he, that is the Holy Spirit within you, than he, the devil, in the world. And after a meeting in Africa, a woman once begged Evangelist Banca for help. She said she was troubled by a demon sitting on her shoulder. But Reinhard wisely answered, 
lady, he said, flies only sit on cold stoves. Amen. If the fire of God is in you, no fly, no devil is going to want to sit on you because you're hot. Well, as part of our protection, we possess the Ephesians chapter 6 armor of God, which includes the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the evil one and the helmet of salvation. When I was ministering in the revival in Arabia, that's documented in my book, Miracles Among Muslims, somebody there said a Christian leader had died because he had been cursed by another person. But I replied, that mentality does not belong to a strong believer because the Bible declares in Proverbs 26, verse 2, that an undeserved curse does not alight. It simply cannot stick to an obedient child of God. The Bible teaches that you can't curse what God has blessed. And if you're a strong, obedient believer, any curses, hexes, or spells hurled at you are null and void in the name of Jesus. You have the power and the authority to decommission any evil spirits sent on assignment against you. However, it has to be said, if you deliberately sin, you can uncover yourself. And Bible teacher Derek Prince of Blessed Memory, who belonged to Christ Church, our congregation in Jerusalem, taught four sins that could call down a curse upon a person. First of all, he said, the worship of false gods. And of course, this includes involvement in witchcraft or the occult. Secondly, Derek said that disrespect for parents will shorten one's life. Whereas honoring parents, the Bible promises, leads to a long life. Derek also mentioned oppressing other people, especially the weak. Giving abortion as an example, bringing a curse unless one repents. And fourthly, illicit or unnatural sex. I would also add unforgiveness brings torment because Jesus warned us in the Gospel of Matthew that unforgiveness towards another person actually turns us over to tormenting spirits. And don't forget, because I often teach this truth, anti-Semitism brings the curse mentioned in Genesis 12, 3, where the Lord declares, I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, Israel. I will curse. If Satan gets his foot in our door, he must be evicted in Jesus' name. First, we repent of all sin and confess our foolishness to God. And secondly, we have to renounce opening the door to the occult. For example, using tarot cards, Ouija boards, Harry Potter style spells, and so forth. Repentance involves a total change of mind, turning to God admitting our guilt and asking for forgiveness. And renunciation involves turning away from wrong activity and taking a permanent stand against evil and cleansing your house. And once your house is cleansed from accursed books, pornography, occultic decorations, a great peace will pervade your home because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Lord, we're just asking you today to deliver us from evil. Well, we're surely living in a time when anything goes. And we saw a very troubling headline that at an elementary school in California, a Satan club was actually approved by the school board for young, impressionable students. 
The stated purpose of the Satan Club was to counter the Good News Club, an after-school activity sponsored by evangelicals. It's no wonder that exorcists are in greater demand due to the sharp rise of Satanism. And as I mentioned earlier, the lack of priests capable of confronting the forces of evil has been described as an emergency by the International Association of Exorcists. A spokesman for that group said that there's a pastoral emergency because of a significant increase in the number of diabolical possessions. You see, when there's a spiritual vacuum for the truth, evil fills that void with an epidemic of pornography, witchcraft, all freely disseminated, for example, on the Internet. Two of America's leading Catholic exorcists have discussed the exponential growth in exorcisms. They said that half the calls they receive are from non-Catholics, and they warned that there are serious consequences when people open a door to invite evil into their lives. And they cited as typical examples was when people play with a Ouija board, and all of a sudden, then they start speaking in an archaic language, and objects start moving around their house. One of the priests said he has performed up to 60 exorcisms in the USA, and he also receives calls for help from India and Africa and recently from Turkey. Well, the Bible warns that there will be an increase in evil in the last days, and there should be enough manpower, nevertheless, in the churches to cope with the powers of darkness. This is because Jesus clearly said that every believer should have enough faith to confront and cast out demons. But sadly, I've discovered very few churches where believers practice that level of faith. In the Roman Catholic Church, the rite of exorcism is a healing ministry that's been shrouded in secrecy. After the Second Vatican Council in the 1960s, it was considered taboo for priests to speak of Satan as if he really exists. But then in 1973 came The Exorcist, a Hollywood blockbuster. The film was based on an actual case of demon possession. And by the year 2004, Pope John Paul II sounded the alarm that occult and New Age activity were raging out of control and provided demonic gateways that could result in possession. Well, it's important to point out that theologians in all church denominations differentiate between full possession, when a person's life is taken over by demons, and what's called the oppression of demonic attachment. That's when people are oppressed under the influence of demons, but they're not fully possessed. We have demonic oppression, or you could call it demonic vexation. A person can be depressed or feel ill, but they're still able to function in ordinary society, more or less. But when they come into contact with an anointed atmosphere or an anointed minister, they begin to manifest signs of hostility or sickness or other symptoms that something's wrong. They can have a great dread of going to a gospel meeting. One priest said that in his experience, a possessed person always has a tribe of demons, not just one. Well, his observation agrees with many Bible accounts. For example, out of Mary Magdalene, Jesus cast not one, but seven devils. And Jesus delivered a madman who was living amongst the tombs on the far side of the Galilee, 
who was possessed by a legion of demons. And demons try to take souls to hell. They push people to harm themselves, to cut themselves, and even to commit suicide. I'm told that the rite of exorcism in the Catholic Church is conducted in Latin, and the Vatican has yet to approve an English translation. But in actuality, the Bible teaches that every believer has authority over demons in their own language and in the name of Jesus. Because we human beings have been given a free will by God, an exorcism can only be conducted if an afflicted person wants to be set free. And the same goes for healing. We can't offer much hope to an afflicted person's family or friends if the victim wants to keep their sickness. But I want to share a case concerning a well-grounded Baptist pastor who prayed for a person who was sick due to demonic attachment. The demons actually spoke to the person and resisted the pastor's prayer, saying, we'll never allow our victim to ask for forgiveness. We've bound him so tight, it's impossible for him to exercise his will to be set free. Well, then, the pastor said, I'll remit his sins, according to John 20, 23. And in that verse, Jesus says, whose sins you forgive are forgiven and whose sins you retain are retained. The demons responded with rage, asking, how do you know that verse? Hardly anybody knows that verse. Well, the pastor said, I know that verse. And so right now I remit the sins of this person in the name of Jesus and I unbind him. And therefore he's set free in Jesus' name and you must vacate now. And hallelujah, the person was set free and healed. So although we can't force an exorcism or a healing on someone against their will, we can, as believers, remit the sins of people as Jesus instructed us to do. That's part of the Great Commission in John's Gospel. Believers who excel in exorcisms are graced with a lack of fear and the discerning of spirits. Meanwhile, the debate continues over the question, can a Christian have a demon? Well, the Bible teaches that a true born-again believer cannot be demon-possessed, but he or she can be oppressed or sorely vexed from time to time. And when we are attacked by dark spirits, we have to resist Satan. Lord, you've just told us to submit ourselves to God to resist the devil, and he will flee from us. So now, if you feel oppressed, I want you to pray with me and ask the Lord right now. Say, Lord, I submit myself to you. Please forgive me for any unyieldingness, any unwillingness, any hardness of heart, for any resistance to you. And I ask you, Lord, to create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Amen and amen. Well, no doubt this topic has raised some questions and comments, so you can contact me through social media or at our website, exploits.tv, where you can watch all our video programs. And please add our Jerusalem Channel app to your phone or tablet through our free download. Until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Darn. Shalom. Maranatha.